Welcome to the Kaleidoscope of Possibilities, Alternative Perspectives on Mental Health. My name is Dr. Adriana Popescu. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist and leader in the field of mental health, energy psychology, addiction, trauma, and empowerment. In this podcast, we will be exploring mental health from a variety of perspectives, from the spiritual to the shamanic and beyond. What if mental illness isn't everything we think it is? What if everything we see as a pathology is actually a possibility? What else is possible with mental health? Hi everyone, Dr. Adriana Popescu here with you today with another episode of Kaleidoscope of Possibilities, Alternative Perspectives on Mental Health. I'm really excited to have with me today, Dr. John Diepold. He is a licensed practicing psychologist in Morristown, New Jersey with over 40 years of clinical experience. He has a keen interest in the treatment of trauma and in performance enhancement. He has studied, applied, and integrated many traditional and non-traditional psychotherapy approaches and models with emerging electrobiophysical science. Dr. Diepold's observations, studies, and clinical experiences culminated in the development of his heart-centered therapy, heart, sorry, pardon me, heart-assisted therapy, which was introduced in 2006. He has taught many workshops on HAT in the US, Canada, Belgium, and Holland. Heart-assisted therapy was the formal professional offering beyond workshop manuals, this is his book. In 2004, he co-authored Evolving Thought Field Therapy and has authored or co-authored over 13 professional papers and book chapters. Research on HAT continues at the University of Arizona and in clinical practice, encompassing both the scientific underpinnings and the clinical effectiveness of HAT or HAT. So welcome, Dr. Diepold. So happy to have you with us today. So nice to be with you today. Thank you. I always like to start off with our guests by finding out a little bit more about them. So I'd love to hear a little bit about your journey. You've been in this field for a long time. I consider you one of the OGs um, of energy psychology. So I'd love to hear a little bit about your journey and how you got to doing the work that you're doing today. Okay. My journey has been uh, one that I would have never predicted. Um, I came up a very traditional route as a, a young psychologist um, going through, you know, PhD program and then internships and so forth. And, you know, learning what was going on in psychotherapy at the time, you know, the, from psychoanalytic and it was cognitive therapy before it became be cognitive behavioral therapy and client-centered therapy and existential and phenomenological, blah, blah, blah. Um, I spent many years uh, studying Ericksonian hypnosis and working with that, mostly with Jeff Zeig. Um, and I was you know, having a good time, but I I'm a curious kind of person. And aside from the fact that the, the relationship in a, in a therapy situation is, is a fundamental uh, foundation you know, upon which everything else is built, but even with that, you know, there were many cases that could only go so far. Uh, and it wasn't for the lack of trying of the, the patient, uh, of the therapist, the, the, you know, whatever, the, the, you know, had to be something else. So I just keep going and learning and, and stumbled into biofeedback and, you know, as an offshoot of hypnosis, learning how the mind and body work together and influence. And I came to the conclusion that if you use mind and body, you're gonna get a more um, thorough effect in creating a change process, which then uh, led me into EMDR. Um, and EMDR I used for, you know, quite a few years, you know, it's a good therapy, um, but it taught me that I needed to continue um, looking because, you know, abreaction was the biggest uh, derailment that I saw. Um, but, you know, it's a solid therapy. Um, then I was introduced to um, thought field therapy. Um, initially by uh, Canadian psychologist Lee Poulos. I went to a hypnosis workshop that he was presenting. And at the very end, he said, 
I want to show you something new that I've recently learned. It's quite different. And he did uh, a thought field therapy algorithm treatment for a person that he brought up on the stage. And I thought, my goodness, that's the strangest thing I've ever seen. But it was effective. So I got the note, Lee, and quite frankly, I kind of badgered Lee and say, will you tell me what this is about and how you learned it and where I can learn about it? And we became friends. And then he told me about Roger Callahan and thought field therapy. And then I ended up doing a local workshop in Philadelphia with Fred Gallo. Um, and I, I just wanted to understand what, what was this tapping treatment doing that seemed effective. Um, then eventually went out and studied, you know, with Roger Callahan, laid down the big bucks and studied, you know, went out there. And again, I found it very interesting and, and effective. And, and thank goodness that my patients are understanding when I come in with, you know, I've got something that I've recently learned. Uh, are you open for consideration here? And, and, and let's see what happens. And so I've learned enormously from all the people that I've worked with, uh, an, an incredible amount of, of learning from them. And, and while the, the thought field therapy was, I think, you know, one of the most effective, you know, modalities that I've stumbled across, I couldn't get away from the fact that it loses the story of the patient in terms of uh, what their experiences are. Callahan took that into consideration, like that all that's in the thought field. So you just kind of pay attention to what you diagnose and treat that way with the meridians. And the other thing was, it was still funny looking, you know, uh, you know, tapping on different parts of the body and had an occasional patient who tend to abuse themselves by really kind of tapping or punching really hard as it, you know. But I would, I would watch and work with people. And when, and back in the days, and it still goes on, people work with beliefs. They, they would like to change their beliefs. And when people talk about beliefs and other things, but this is how it first came to my attention, they would put their hand on their heart when they tell them, oh yeah, I this is really important to me, you know, and it's like, hmm. And they would consistently do this. They being, you know, quite a few patients who wanted to do belief work. So I thought, hmm, okay, what happens if I have them put their hand on their heart and then do the tapping on meridian points? Mm -hmm. Well, it worked just fine. And they told me that it was qualitatively different. Um, so that caught my attention. Also, I observed that originally when I studied with uh, Roger Callahan, we were tapping 15 to 25 times on a treatment point. And that was down from over 50 when he first started, where he was doing bilateral, I mean, and the top of the meridian point, the bottom of the meridian point 50 times. Um, but what I noticed was if I didn't suggest to the person how many times to tap, um, I would watch. And I would watch until they took at least one full respiration before they would start to look at me or ask, how long do I do this? And this kept happening. So I said, hmm, what is it about the, the breathing or the respiration that's in play here? Why is it that after one, Full, at least one full respiration, then they inquire. Now, add that to, here's another one of my strange twists in, in my learning. I was at the mall, at, at our local mall in one of the science stores, and there's a, a line of kids going toward a plasma ball. Now, if you know what a plasma ball is, it's that nice globe that has that all those nice purpley uh, streams flowing out from the center. Mm -hmm. And I, I have one in my office. I, I always have had it. It's a nice teaching tool. And so I wanted to go up and play too, because I, I am just a, a educated big kid. And when I got there, you know, I had the sense there was something that I 
needed to learn from this. So I would touch the plasma ball. And when you hold a constant touch on the plasma ball, the streams would concentrate to that area of contact. Or if you just tapped on it, it would go and uh, leave, go and leave, come and leave. And then I, I, I started to make this connection between, well, is tapping then an energy disruptor? You know, if, if I tap on this energy ball, it connects and disconnects, connects and disconnects, connects and disconnects versus just holding a finger there and it maintains a steady stream. And as I was playing, an employee was walking by, he was a young man, and I said, I know it's a long shot, but do you know how this works? And he smiled and said, yes, I'm a physics major. And I said, hot dogs. <laughs> and he told me that the, that the globe is filled with argon and neon gases, which are noble gases, and they don't like their electrons disturbed. And that's what that little centerpiece does. It disturbs the electrons. So the gases are drawing free-floating electrons from the air around it. And so when a human touches it, we have more free-floating electrons concentrated within us, so it draws. So I went away thinking, there's something energetically going on here with tapping, but also a more concentrated effect of energy with just holding a point. All that being said, it led me, I, I wrote an article in 1998 and introduced what I call touch and breathe. So in using thought field therapy and, and you know, integrating certainly into EFT and what we all call energy um, psychology now is that a person would, in lieu of tapping, touch a meridian point and the person was asked to take one respiration and then another respiration and in lieu of tapping. Mm -hmm. And lo and behold, the patient said, I like that. You know, it, it moved away from the tapping. It felt from what they reported is more comfortable. Um, and so off I went and, and putting the tapping aside and using touch and breathe. Okay. And then, and then eventually continuing to work with thought field therapy, wrote the Evolving Thought Field Therapy book, but it wasn't over yet. Um, I guess it was around 1999, 2000 at a Canadian energy conference that Sharon Toole had. There was a fellow by the name of Grant McFedrick who was doing a workshop. And in that workshop, he did this hands over the heart but he used it as a regression technique. And he had people just stay here and think about an emotion. It was emotion-based and let it set for a while and then go, and then think about the time before that, that you felt that and before that and before that. And it was an interesting experience, but I had no idea what I was gonna do with that, but it just stuck in my mind. Fast forward, I'm still watching patients. I, you know, I'm, I'm having a blast being a clinician. And I also observe people because of my hypnosis training. And I observe that when people get excited about something or get upset about something, they touch their heart and it's unconscious. I can, even if someone's sitting in my office and, and they're telling me they do this, I said, do you realize what you just did? And they said, no, what did I do? I said, well, you did this. I was like, I did? And so my curiosity is, well, nature is pretty smart. There's, there has to be a purpose for that. Why do people just spontaneously do this? And I've come to believe that that is likely one of our innate ways to self-regulate is to very quickly do that. To, if we're up, up too high or we drop too low with ups, it quickly self-regulates. Mm -hmm. Well, my playful and curiosity style got me then saying, hmm, uh, what happens if I just work off the heart? And at the same time, Heart Math Institute was really getting its feet on the ground and, and producing a lot of research about heart and the energy of the heart and um, the, the value of coherence uh, and, and you know, 
where things go awry, it's incoherent and, and using the heart to help facilitate coherence to what we're thinking and doing. So I started playing with, okay, a, a person thinks about the issue, you know, you know uh, I, I refer to it as a treatment focus now. It's, it's the, the source of what it is that's causing the upset when I think about it. Uh, take some heart breaths. And I didn't know what I was doing at first. They would take one and I would, oh, I know what I was doing. I was muscle checking because that was part of the thing. They think about their issue and I muscle check them. Mm -hmm. And if it goes weak, I would say, okay, think about it. Take a heart breath. They, when they were done that, muscle check again. Mm -hmm. well, and in energy psychology and thought field therapy and EFT, we talk about all kinds of energy reversals and blocked energy, uh, massive, mini, you name it. Uh, all kinds of things, trying to understand this phenomenon of what happens. Because, you know, since the late 1800s, it's been a known fact that we are electromagnetic. Uh, while that sounds cool, it's, it's really more important to understand what that means and how it works with our bodies. So some people I've learned, observed, even when teaching people about muscle testing in the workshops, some are keen on it to learn, some aren't. Some patients are keen about it, some aren't. Some people have, you can't do it because their arms get sore, whatever. But I learned that it took me about two years of, of muscle checking people um, to learn that if they took three respirations this way, does, this way just means whatever you do naturally. You know, in the research, Again, it shows that, that whatever a person does naturally is perceived as much more comfortable uh, and fitting than what it feels like when they reverse their hands. So whatever they do naturally. So what I eventually found was if a person did three respirations this way, three this way, three this way, there were no more reversals of any type whatsoever. It took care of it, you know, the heart, because of its ability, the strongest electromagnetic field also is corrective. See, if I just had them do it one way, about 50% would correct. Mm -hmm. So then I had them reverse their hands and then they would correct. Mm -hmm. And then I went back to what David Walther and, um, and, and the applied kinesiology folks learned and Callahan picked up on, well, if it's, that's, it's hum, count, hum, it's hum, count, hum, because one way, two way, three ways, if you will, across the brain. So uh, instead of muscle checking to see, do they have to do it this way or do they have to do it this way? One, two, three, took care of it. Mm -hmm. Made life so much easier mm -hmm. uh, and simpler for people. Um, so this led me into developing the protocol for the heart assisted therapy and throughout the protocol um and, and I, I can give you some of the components but a key part of it is when a person states the acceptance statement they say it the first time this way second time this way third time this way reason being if the disruptive nature of that experience from that emotion throws the system offline, it'll come back online again. And that's what I found. You know, again, going back, I have my friends, the segmented magnets, you know, when we're lined up this way, you know, all the pluses and minuses the way they're supposed to be, and then these have a trauma and they get all mixed up and whatever, they do our best and we as therapists, but there's gonna be areas that are like this. Mm -hmm. You can't see it, they can feel it. And this is what I've come to believe that why psychotherapy, other psychotherapy models that don't take into consideration the electromagnetic component of our being is why things can only go so far. Because unless you have a way to check for what's happening energetically, things can change. And once the energy can change, now, change in emotional and physical behavior and everything else now has the opportunity to change. 
where would you like me to go from here? Do you want me to so, talk? I mean, there's so many things right now I want to like follow up on. So even this, just this last piece, right? Like I, I fully agree. And I think seeing things through the energetic lens myself and the way I explain it to clients is everything is energy, your thoughts, your emotions, your body, exactly. it's, it's energetic, it's electromagnetic. Um, when you're thinking, when you're stressing, that's producing, you know, energy and, you know, traditionally, when I explain something like EFT or energy psychology, I talk about how 5,000 years of traditional Chinese medicine, and they were working with this concept of energy. Um, you know, the acupuncture emerged from this idea of if we can restore balance to someone's energetic system, the, the chi, if we balance it across the, you know, along these meridians, these pathways along which it runs, because it does get out of whack for different reasons. But when we're able to restore that balance, the body is able to heal itself, you know, and that still I feel is very much a part of what is happening when we are doing these different techniques, whether it's this or this or whatever. But then, you know, the science is now amazingly like caught up to really validate so much of this, you know, like I want to talk a little bit about the breath component and polyvagal theory. And can you explain to us a little bit about what is it that the breathing is doing to our nervous system when we add that element into this work? Okay. But first a little paradox. It, you know, I, I call it heart assisted therapy because I truly believe it's the energy of the heart that influences everything, you know, just like it did in our embryonic development. Um, first organ it develops, you know, in a fetus begins beating by the 25th day. What is it beating? Information, sound waves, pulse waves, electromagnetic frequencies to all the cells in the body. It's a lifelong process. So I, I call it heart assisted therapy, but aside from asking a person, just overlap your hands and put them on your heart. I never refer to the heart again. Mm. They, they, it, there's, it's not heart focused. It's not heart holding. Uh, it's just, just take this posture and pay attention to when you focus on your issue, what are you aware of? Mm -hmm. Thoughts, uh, feelings, sensations, memories, you know, never any, it does it all by itself mm -hmm. uh, is my understanding. And so I, I don't have to have anybody focus here. It's just happens. And when, when we're here, you know, there's an energy bonanza, if you will. I mean, we have the physiologic heart. We have the heart chakra, which okay. is the central of the chakras in which the three above and the three below basically determine your spin based on what's going on with the heart chakra. You have all the meridian points in the, in the hand. You have reportedly heart chakras in the hands. The hands are known to be the most energy sensitive areas of the body. And you put it all here and the heart brain major neurologic connection is the vagus nerve. And the vagus nerve is our main line for input and output of the autonomic nervous system. And so I pay attention to respiration because that's my guide. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I watch respiration. And so when a person says an acceptance statement, and, and I hopefully I'll talk about that a little bit later, if you wish, uh, after they complete it, I watch them take uh, two respirations. You know, and then after two respirations, they say it again. And I watch them take two more again, and then come back again and two more. The reason being is I originally was just doing one respiration but sometimes that's not enough for a person because what's happening is this is changing the information going from heart to brain. And when people get anxious, their breathing gets quick. It frequently stops, gets choppy. And I, you have to be patient if you're going to do heart assistive therapy. And I just wait. And then they do that and it's okay, now we switch. And so the respiration and the autonomic nervous system uh, is very alive and very telling and serves as a guide in doing the heart assist therapy. I love it. And we are essentially, you know, now that we have, I think even, even the tapping modalities have really now embraced this, 
you know, this whole aspect of the fight, flight, freeze response and how when when that gets activated for us and our nervous system goes into that sympathetic, you know, arousal, um, people can't think straight. They don't have access to their logic and their reason. Their more primitive brain essentially takes over in this survival mechanism we're all wired with. So the thing when we're working with like anxiety, for example, or panic, phobias, trauma, right? PTSD, all the after effects of these traumatic responses that people have, um, we have to have, we therapists, it's my belief, so have to have a way to help people calm their nervous systems down. And this work, this energy psychology work is so powerful at doing that. Indeed. Yeah. Indeed. And you work a lot with trauma. Tell us a little bit about how, what you've seen with your clients who experience trauma with, you know, throughout the years, the different, you know, work that you've done, but now, especially with this, how, what have you noticed with your trauma patients? I've noticed that their ability to heal from their traumatic experiences uh, has become easier, more gentle, and more quick mm -hmm. using heart-assisted therapy than the other modalities that I have used for many years. Mm -hmm. uh, for me, it was a wonderful progression, mm -hmm. and I'm very happy to have landed here. Uh, I've really come to understand that the primary origin of most of the complaints that people come in with is related to some form of trauma, uh, an emotional trauma, a physical trauma, some kind of experience that they connect as trauma. Everyone else has forgotten about, but for them, this is that event that's lived on in their life since the second grade, you know, kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, and very rarely, I mean, I, I, the only time I deal with emotions is when I'm dealing with elaters, but that, that's another piece for uh, the self-sabotage stuff. I don't really deal, I don't deal with anxiety or panic. I deal with what's the incident, what's the cause of that? And that gives them that opportunity to say, you know, I'm feeling anxious. And then we run it through the acceptance statements in the protocol. I'm feeling panic, I, I'm enraged. And, and run it through that way. It's never a treatment focus. Mm -hmm. Emotions are a reaction to something. They're not the problem. They can be very problematic, but yeah. they're not the problem. Yeah. They're a symptom. I agree. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we need to be able to get to the root. And again, traditional talk therapy to me, I, my joke is it's like a dog chasing its tail. You know, it's like you're up here you know, sort of mentally masturbating, if you will, and never getting down to the necessarily to the root or addressing the energy around that root. Yeah, I, I use the, the metaphor of uh, plucking a dandelion. You can pluck the dandelion and, you know, they can manage that anxiety for that time, but, you know, it's going to come back again. So unless you can go down and get the root, uh, yeah. it's going to keep coming back. Yeah. And so there's the difference between... Um, teaching people how to cope with symptoms versus helping people um, to heal from that which has caused the symptoms. And that is that is very much the focus of my work as well. I want to get down to the root cause of whatever this is, this belief, this emotional thing, this, this trauma, whatever it is, like that's what I think that's where we need to get to if we're really going to promote healing versus symptom management, which is what the kind of Western psychiatric model wants us to do, right? So, but you said something really key that I wanted to highlight, which was gentle. And when we're working with trauma, I consider myself a trauma specialist as well. So many of our clients have experienced like physical abuse, for example, that I've noticed, especially with my clients at the rehab, you know, where we specialize in treating trauma, that even the act of tapping for them when I teach them, you know, EFT, it like feels almost like an assault to their body, right? Like I, or people have, will even say, I've been hit in the face. I don't want right. to touch these points on my face. So I remember years ago at an energy psychology conference learning um, touch and breathe. And I really just wanted to acknowledge like gratitude for that because for the clients who can, can just like touch the spot gently and with compassion, you know, and just breathe, that's so much more, um, 
kind to them and their bodies. And I feel like this also, you know, is a way for us to tap into self-compassion, you know, inner child work, you know, that type of thing. I feel like these techniques are so beautifully integrated into like, you know, like acknowledging that your child is still suffering, your child is still stuck in this trauma, whatever it may be. And if we can touch the body with this kind of compassion and gentleness, like how even that is a corrective emotional experience, if you will. Mm -hmm. Yeah, many people describe this as very nurturing. Yes. Very comforting. And so when you're going through some dastardly experiences, and this is that underneath natural response that is comforting and nurturing, uh, it makes going through those things uh, surprisingly easier, even for them, because that's, they will comment, you know, I've had many people comment like, you know, uh, about how amazed they were that they were able to tackle that because it had been such a dragon for them for most of their life. Most people are afraid to even go there, right? It's like, I put that stuff away. A lot of my clients use the drugs and alcohol to try to numb it and avoid it. But I think when we can offer them something like this that tends not to be abreactive, tends to be gentle and nurturing, and of course, the rapport with the therapist and feeling safe, you know, in a safe space to do this, um, we really can do some really powerful stuff. So um, I do love that you, you know, are, are that we're talking about this and that you've brought this, we're bringing this to the world here, you know, letting people know about this. I'd love to do a little demo if you would lead us through something. I think it would be great for people to get an experience of this. Well, if, if I have time, can I, can I do two things before we do that? Because I will yeah. be happy to do that. Sure. Perhaps a you know what I call kind of an evolving definition or description of heart assisted therapy. It's a it's a dynamic. It's an integrative. It's a humanistic and mindfulness enhancing uh, approach to psychotherapy. Um, it's truly integrative of to traditional psychotherapy approaches, certainly that I've learned and the energy science that I've learned in the second half of my career, uh, and they've. Somehow, you know, I've been blessed and that things came together for me. So it's a holistic mind, body, energy uh, model that incorporates thoughts and feelings and sensations and behaviors uh, and using the energy of the heart, um, the heart influence, uh, you know, and this stabilizing breathing approach that emerged. Um, and when in a therapy situation, uh, a person identifies a treatment focus and then they invite the person after every I'll, I'll save this because i'll do the little little demo with you which is uh what i call a self-regulation protocol that emerged because people would say is there anything i can do between sessions docs of that to help matt and this is where these self-regulation protocols come from which is the example we'll give but in doing the therapy Every therapy begins with nine self-regulating heart breath. The person thinks about the issue. They'll explain, they'll talk, they'll comment what it is, what they think, what they feel. And then an acceptance statement is made. Uh, again, there are four guiding principles with heart-assisted therapy. Accept the negative, ponder the neutral, accentuate the positive, and prepare for the future. Four basic guidelines that have really borne out um, a very thorough way to help a person heal through things. Um, and the other piece I wanted uh, to say is something we talked about when we spoke previously about working with self-sabotaging behaviors. And that class of behavior um, known as addictions, and I never ever use the word addictions when I work with people. I fail to see any upside to that term whatsoever. It's negative. It's, uh, it's the allopathic medical model. There's something wrong with you. It's a disease and therefore means it's not my fault. And I don't see how anyone progresses very far in therapy with that as a background. Um, so, you know, it's 
and they're called, you know, addiction is a disorder. My perspective has been since, I guess about 2000, um, that what keeps these things going are not the negative consequences. They all know the negative, you know, it's, it's not good for you. Look what it does to your body. Look how it affects your friends, you know, that they all know that. That's not why they continue. It's because of the positive. Yeah. It's the positive that they experience, which I call elators. Elators are those positive um, experience of emotions. And these serve to, a person engages in these behaviors in order to change their state of mind, to change their feeling state, to change, to knock themselves out to whatever. Uh, they're doing it in order to, which is very different than a disorder. And when they learn that it's an in order, now control can come back to them. You know, as long as it's a disorder, it's a disease and I'm not in control, it's no wonder it's considered one of the most recalcitrant uh, groups of people to work with. Mm -hmm. So I just wanted to throw that out there since you give me this little forum that to begin thinking about uh, those kinds of things as being fueled by the positive is what keeps them going and you have to derail the positive experience that they get from it. Right. After you heal what the initial insult was that started it, typically a traumatic event or even social pressure uh, when it, at a young age, you know, the fear of not being accepted is traumatic, you know? Um, so there's lots of fun things that, that I, I just love being a therapist and I just love having to having stumbled into, you know, the whole uh, energy component, you know, um, electromagnetic energy, uh, physical energy, uh, the traditional approaches, um, uh, you know, uh, I've been never been more effective in my life. And now I'm just wanting to share what I've learned with all with colleagues who also care to learn. And now you want a little demo of a, uh, an SR protocol, self-regulation protocol. Sure. Uh, and what, what we can do is we're gonna do uh, the generic one, which was um, designed to, well, we can talk about it afterwards for a few minutes if you want, and then uh, tell you know watchers, listeners, how they can use that and also modify that for some things uh, in managing themselves for their day-to-day -day, um, concerns, if you will. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So if you're ready, ready, go to work? Yep. Let's do it. Let me invite you to overlap your hands, place them on your heart, and just kind of free your mind and blankly focus and take three nice, easy heart breaths. And now reversing and three more. And back again, three more, your own normal respiration. Thank you, Adriana, for, for providing another teaching moment. You did those with your eyes closed. We're going to repeat again, but this time I'm going to ask you to keep, them eyes keep your eyes open. I'll explain afterwards. So let me invite you again, just free your mind, blankly focus on something, and take three nice, easy heart breaths. And reversing in three more.
and back again, three more. Now take another heart breath, please. And then say, deep in my heart, I love and accept myself. Deep in my heart, I love and accept myself. Heart breath. Even though I am the way I am. Even though I am the way I am. In mind, body, and spirit. In mind, body, and spirit. And now reverse, heart breath. Deep in my heart, I love and accept myself. Deep in my heart, I love and accept myself. Even though I am the way I am. Even though I am the way I am. In mind, body, and spirit. In mind, body, and spirit. And back again, please. Deep in my heart, I love and accept myself. Deep in my heart, I love and accept myself. Even though I am the way I am. Even though I am the way I am. In mind, body, and spirit. In mind, body, and spirit. And let me invite you again now to free your mind and take three nice, easy heart breaths. And reversing in three more, just freeing your mind. And back again, three more. How are you doing? I definitely noticed a shift. Yeah, I could feel my nervous system starting to calm. I could feel the energy from my hand chakras, like kind of opening my heart chakra. It just felt like everything was warmer and, and more comfortable. I felt calmer. Like it was a perceptible shift to me, like almost like, like a dropping down in a sense, a dropping down into a quieter, calmer kind of place versus kind of more amped up. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, that's. Very common. Every, most everyone will notice that it's just a very soothing, relaxing, calming. Mm -hmm. um, I know time doesn't permit to share more, but every component of the, the acceptance statement serves a particular purpose. Mm -hmm. Okay. And this is the generic one, um, which I think can go a long way. You know, um, even though I am the way I am. They know how they are, whether they're anxious or mad or upset in mind, body, and spirit, because it's going to resonate across all of who and what we are. Mm -hmm. um, so that, that's the generic one. But, you know, once a person begins learning how to do it, then they can understand, like, you know, I'm really angry about that. Well, then they plug in deep in my heart. I love and accept myself, even though I'm angry. You yeah. Know? Yeah. And well, back to whatever. I think it's so important that piece because you're really addressing there the resistance, right? Like there's just this, sometimes this innate resistance and judgment we have to our own experience. Like it's not okay that I'm angry. It's not okay that I'm upset. Right. And that just makes it worse. It tends to amplify the already feeling bad when you're on top of it, judging yourself for doing it or being this way. So I love that to me, again, that's more of that compassion and that almost like a radical self-acceptance, right? If we're speaking in those terms. Yeah, acceptance has to precede change. Yes. From a very practical sense, I'll explain it to folks, is that if I can't accept that I'm sitting in my chair, I can't get up and leave if I want to. 
So acceptance has to precede any type of change. And so that's just built right in there um, along with, you know, deep in my heart, because so somewhere deep in your heart, you know, even if you're not in touch with it at that moment, but somewhere deep in my heart, I, I am able to love and accept myself. Yeah. Even though whatever else is going on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like that. And it's really about meeting yourself where you're at in this moment, right? Exactly. In this moment, you're in distress. And what if that's okay? And that you yeah. need to acknowledge the distress and accept it before you can actually start to shift it. I love that. And I find that that is super helpful in working with clients. And this work that you've been doing now, you've done some research on it. You've written about it. You're teaching workshops in it as well. I, I took a workshop with you at the conference once. So you're really trying to get that out there in the world, which is just wonderful. Um, if people want to find out more about how they can work with you or learn more about this wonderful technique, where can they go? Okay. Before I offer that, I want I said I get back to you about eyes closed, eyes open. Oh, right. Mm -hmm. There is a, a I'm going to say 20% of the time a person will close their eyes spontaneously you know it may be part of training that they've done before with something that they close their eyes or whatever sometimes they can justify it, saying it just makes everything else go away and I let them do it because that's what they felt they needed to do so they run through the nine but then I repeat ask them with their eyes open like I did with you because all the things that we would work on happen when our eyes are open uh, and we know that the brain works differently, whether your eyes are open, your eyes are closed, you know. And so these events, I like to, to match physiology. Mm -hmm. So the eyes open uh, are an important ingredient, uh, mm -hmm. simply because, you know. Mm -hmm. But if someone does it initially, you just let them do it and then come back and do it with their eyes open. Uh, mm -hmm. Unless you're working with dreams, somebody's really bent out of shape about dreams, you do it with your eyes closed, obviously. Very interesting. And I think it would also add benefit to when you're working with trauma survivors, sometimes when they close their eyes, they dissociate. So having them keep their eyes open helps them stay a little bit more grounded. Well, again, think of uh, Piaget and, and object permanence. You know, you learn as a young kid, you close your eyes, you make everything go away. Mm -hmm. They made the new other originally, but then eventually you have to come back and do it with their eyes open. Yeah, yeah. Wonderful stuff, really. What a gift. What a gift your life, your work. I really appreciate your ever, ever evolving curiosity and willingness <laughs> to take what has already been done and question it and evolve it. Um, that's how our field grows. That's how we get more effective with our clients. So I really appreciate you being the lifelong student. I consider myself the same, always wanting to learn new things and see how they might apply to making our work even more powerful with our clients. And getting back to your earlier question, um, the latest research that was published in the Journal of Explore, the Science of uh, Healing and, and Science and Healing, um, deals with the clinical effectiveness of heart-assisted therapy. Um, two psychologists, myself and another one in a state 700 miles away, um, we had 43 patients together and we treated 81 treatment foci, which were traumatic events. And I'm trying to remember closely, um, average SUD level before doing the treatment was around eight, eight and a half. And treatment and sud levels after treatment, zero. Wow, that's impressive. Z uh, and you know, probability of point zero 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 one. So over forty three patients and eighty one traumatic events, and the average number of heart assisted therapy sessions to deal with uh, the traumatic event was between four and five. However, that's going to vary. It all depends on, you know, everyone's different. Everyone's experience is different. Sometimes you get a, a one treatment wonder. Uh, sometimes it'll take two or three. Sometimes it'll take five or six. I, give, I gave up guessing. People would say, Doc, how, how long do you think this will take? 
And I would originally say, well, and, and I was completely wrong. So I was taught, you know, it's going to be what it's going to be. We will yeah. both learn because every patient does the same thing when it's completed. Mm -hmm. So if you want to find me, there is the Heart Assisted Therapy website, which is, interestingly enough, heartassistedtherapy.net. <laughs> yep. Uh, and there is a new um, heart assisted therapy learning channel. Um, and that I just opened up about a month ago. And I'm, I'm trying to remember what it is now because it's so new. It's either HATLearningchannel.com or heart assisted therapy learning channel. I'm sorry, dot net. Um, we'll yeah. add it to the show notes. We'll add, we'll make sure that we'll check the link and we'll make sure it's, I will add it. it's, it's that we'll new. And that that's added. where therapists can come if they want to do some video learning um, about heart assisted therapy that way. Uh, but it's a it's the heart assisted therapy learning channel. Wonderful. Uh, yeah. So thank you, thank you for having me. Thank you so much for being here today and sharing your wisdom, your experience, guiding us through that wonderful process. This is something people can just use uh, anytime they're just feeling dysregulated, feeling that amp up, that stress, whatever it may be. It's just a really lovely, gentle way to begin to get to a calmer state and to access that, that part of us that is um, essentially, you know, our spirit, I, I think of it as our spirit, you know, accessing that part of ourselves where we do love and accept ourselves and um, bringing in the spiritual component, how important that is to the work. So I'm super grateful for your presence, your contribution to our field and listeners and viewers. If you've liked this podcast, please do share, comment, rate, like, all the things so the algorithms can get this material out there in the world and more people can come to realize that they too can heal from whatever experiences they've had. They can change the way they see themselves in the world. Um, and that true healing, not just medication of symptoms, you know, amelioration of, of symptoms is truly possible. So yeah, we, thank we you can't so change, much. We can't change reality, but we yeah. can change how a person feels and thinks about it. And that's about as best it ever gets. Yes, yes. Words of wisdom. Thank you so much, Dr. Deepold. And thanks everyone for tuning in today. See you next time. Thank you so much. Kaleidoscope of Possibilities. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Kaleidoscope of Possibilities, Alternative Perspectives on Mental Health. This has been Dr. Adriana Popescu. If you enjoyed this episode, please like and subscribe and share with others. To find out more about me, my guests, and more, please visit my website at adrianapopescu.org. See you next time.